I'm glad you can join us today. Pastor Christian reminds us who we are in Jesus Christ in today's message. Let's listen in. Who are you? Not what you look like. Not I have brown hair, pink hair, gray hair, no hair. Not what you do, not your job. Not who the world tells you you, who you are. But who are you? If any of you spend any time on Facebook, you know there are lots of quizzes on Facebook that are very willing to tell you who you are. There's ones that will tell you what your personality is. There's ones that will tell you what animal you are or what famous person you are. There's even ones that will tell you what Starbucks drink you are. Now, the beauty of these quizzes is that if you don't like the answer, there's a little button on the corner that says retake. So you can go back in, change your answers. I was a caramel frappuccino, and I really wanted to be a mocha macchiato because that just sounds so much more sophisticated to me. I tried, and I tried, but I was still a caramel frappuccino. Now, these quizzes are fun, and they're very lighthearted. But we need to be careful because if we don't know who we are, the world is more than happy to tell us who we are. They'll tell you who you are. They'll tell you what you should be. They'll label you. And then you're kind of stuck in that spot. But we need to be firm in who we know we are. Because if you don't know who you are, you're going to be tossed back and forth. You'll be chasing after some new age philosophies. Self-help books are, you know, selling off the charts because people want to know who they are. And they're going in all these different directions trying to figure it out. But what happens is we end up being almost spiritual chameleons going in one direction depending on who we're with or maybe putting on a different color depending on where we are. But tonight what we're going to do is we're going to look at who scripture says we are because that's where our meaning is and that's where our purpose is we're going to look in uh, the first book of Peter second chapter and what we're going to see here is Peter's talking to believers who they are uh, dealing with the wrath of Emperor Nero I don't know if you know the history of Emperor Nero he used Christians as scapegoats. Anything that was going wrong in the empire was a Christian's fault. And he brutalized them. He would put them in the Colosseums and put on a show. There's even some stories about him covering Christians with tars, with tar, and then hanging them as light posts in his garden when he would entertain people. And what Peter's doing is he's writing to all of these Christians in what would now be the area of Turkey because he's trying to remind them who they are because they're feeling abandoned by God at this point. And so he's going to start writing to them, and he's going to start this chapter. He starts it by saying, this is what the unbelievers are. He says they're stumbling, they're offensive to God. But he starts in verse 9 this way. We're reading from the New Living Translation. He says, But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. 
You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. In these two verses, Peter's giving us four ways to answer the question, who are you? The first one we're going to look at is you are chosen. Ephesians 1.4 says this, Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God chose you. God chose you. God chose you. It wasn't anything that you did, and you didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. But he loved you. He pursued you. He chose you. See, our chosenness, if I can use that word, I don't even know if it's a word, but it sounds good. Chosenness, it's a work of God's amazing grace. The way he chose us is a mystery. It's only known to him, but it is completely a matter of his grace. Because your, your identity is not based on your skin color. It's not based on your past, and it's not based on your talents. Your identity starts with the fact that you were chosen by God. He chose you, he pursued you, until you chose him back. John six forty four says, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. We have to grab hold of the fact that we were an enemy to God. And yet, while we were sinners, he pursued us. Until He pursued you until that moment that you accepted Jesus as your Savior. He pursued you because he loved you. He chose you to receive the salvation and spend eternity with him. Before you knew God, he knew your name. Before you knew you, God knew you. He chose you to be one of his own. Which brings us to our second identity. You are God's possession. You're not your own. You have no no control over yourself anymore. You're not supposed to. We like to think we do. Peter says this twice, though. He says it once in verse 9, and he says it again in verse 10. In verse 9, he says, you are God's very own possession. And he repeats it again in verse 10. He says, you had no identity as a people. Now, now you are God's people. God didn't just choose you to leave you. He chose you, had mercy on you, and took you to be his own. Anyone here like to visit art museums? What makes the art valuable in those museums? The fact of their creator. You like to go to history museums things in those historical museums they're valuable because they were owned by someone famous that's our story we've got a famous creator and we've got a famous owner there's our value God chose you he had mercy on you and he took you to be his own 2 Corinthians 6.16 says this for we are the temple of the living God as God said I will live in them and walk among them 
I will be their God, and they will be my people. See, he, he takes you as his own because he wants to spend eternity with you. That's his goal. You're the ones that he's choosing to spend eternity with. You're the ones that he's choosing to walk among. You're the ones he's choosing to dwell in. You're the people that he delights in. Zephaniah 3.17 says it this way. For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. The creator of the universe is rejoicing over you and you with joyful songs. Wow. We weren't made only to enjoy God. We were really made so God could enjoy us. This idea that we have been drawn to God, he chose us, he chased after us, he opened our eyes to reveal Jesus, he had mercy on us, he's given us grace through Jesus. The fact that we've been adopted into his family as co-heirs of Jesus Christ, sharing in the eternal riches, where his treasured possession, this should bring us to our knees. I should hear some amens here. <laughs> Amen. We should tremble with awe at God pursuing us and choosing us. We should be so overflowing with joy that we should be irresistible to the purpose of our faith in our lives. It should just overwhelm us. But God didn't stop there. He chose us, he possesses us, and he makes us holy. He calls us a holy nation. It means you're set apart. You're no longer a part of this world. You're an alien and a stranger to this world. But you're set apart for relationship with him so that you can fulfill his purpose because without him we can't do it. You exist for God and you aren't here for you. hate to break it to you, but you're not here for you. You're on this earth for him. The Lord your God is holy, and so you too should be holy. But what does that mean? We say that word a lot, but what does it mean? What does a holy Christian really look like? Because it's more than just doing good things. It's more than just being moral. It goes a lot deeper than that. Because our holiness is completely and utterly dependent on how our relationship is with him. And it's not something, our holiness is not something that we do for God. It's a result of God living in us. It's a passion to get to know him more. It's to go and grow closer to him just out of our response to his love for us. That's holiness. It's loving God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and loving your neighbor as yourself. And making him the number one priority in our lives. 
It's not about doing religious things. Coming here on Saturdays at 6 o'clock does not make you holy. Praying does not make you holy. Going down to the intersection down there and giving a homeless person $20 does not make you holy. Let's use the example of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus. He said, I've done all these things. I've done all these things. And Jesus said, well, go sell everything. And then you can be a part of me. And he walked away. Because Jesus knew, you're not putting me first. You don't really have a passion for me. You have a passion to do the things that you think are good. But you don't have me in your heart. And that's what the holiness is. The holiness is is throwing it all aside and saying, God, I'm here. Use me. You are the number one priority. You know, holiness comes up when you don't steal. Not because you're not going to get caught. You don't steal because the character of God who's living in you doesn't allow you to. You don't lie, not because it's wrong. You don't lie because the Spirit of God who's living in you says, no, you're not going to do that. That's holiness. We have to die to ourselves and live for him. Galatians 2.20 says this, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Why is this holiness so important? Why is it so important for us to be holy? You know, holiness, I said, was based on our personal and intimate relationship with him. But it's, it's not for us. Our holiness is not for us. Our holiness is for everybody out there. So they can look on us and say, wow, they're different. There's something different about them. And I want to know what it is. So you're holy not for you. You're holy for them out there. (laughs) I'm fired up. (laughs) We are ambassadors for Christ. And that's why we're holy. That's why it's so important. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. And that brings us to our fourth identity. Royal priests. We're all royal priests. So now we are chosen, we're God's possession, we're a holy nation, and we're royal priests. Now, this term royal priest, this was really big for the Jewish believers. They had their entire uh, history was seeing kings get special treatment and seeing priests have the only connection to God. And here Paul is telling them they're united. And it's part of your identity. They're united in Christ, and this belongs to you too. That is huge for these Jewish believers and it's huge for us too because every believer every one of us in this room is a member of God's royal priesthood and we have to count it as a privilege to be called a royal priest 
It's symbolic of the intimate relationship that is available to us all day, every day, for eternity. The other thing about being a royal priest, all the other identities are about being. Being a priest is all about doing. It's a job. It's a job title. You may never preach a sermon, but you're still called to be a royal priest. You may never baptize anyone, but you're still called to be a royal priest. You may never marry anyone, but you're still called to be a royal priest. What does a priest look like? A priest is passionate about pursuing God, knowing God pursued me, now i got to pursue him back. They're devoted and committed to God's mission, no matter what the cost is. Priests are called to work together. We're not called to do it alone. That's why we come together as a body. Our job is to represent God to the people out there. So who has God brought into your path to show God to? Priest. Priests take people's concerns to God. They pray for people. Pastor Terry has been talking several times the past few weeks about the importance of praying for this body, praying for each other, praying for the church body, and praying for the leaders of Sawgrass. So are you praying for your church family? Are you praying for the people sitting next to you? Are you praying for the people out there? See, the world is hungry for a glimpse of who Christ really is. And it's not our job to convince them that this is the only way. That's not our job. We simply need to show them by example how Jesus works in our lives. Priests recognize that no matter where they go, it's a mission field. Whether they're going to work, library, school, shopping mall, every single place they go to is a mission field. Do you want, who in here wants to make a difference? You can't make a difference if you look like everybody else. You have to be different in order to make a difference. The church has become ineffective because we've forgotten who we are. We've started to look like everybody out there. But to the world, we actually look the same as them. They think we're just another social club. The only difference is they meet in bars and clubs, and we meet in a church. We have to remember who we are. God has set us apart. He's chosen us to be different for the purpose of showing others his goodness. For he pulled you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Who are you? You're chosen. You're God's treasured possession. You're a holy nation set apart for his purpose. You are part of a royal priesthood to be ambassadors of Christ to the world. See, as believers, 
we don't have the freedom to just choose who we are. As believers, we can't define who we are without God being at the radical center of it, of both our identity and our purpose. Because who we are is directly connected to why we're here and what we're supposed to be doing. But our purpose is not to just rest on who we are. It's not for us to be all puffed up and proud. Oh, yeah, I'm a child of God. Look at me. Look at me. I'm saved. I'm forgiven. Not supposed to stop there. Our identity and our purpose are to proclaim the praises of the one who gave his life for you. That, that is what it's about. Our purpose is to love one another as God loves us. To serve one another as Christ served us. To show the world the way out of darkness and into the light. There's an often misquoted <laughs> phrase by Gandhi. It's attributed to him. It's, I'll give you the paraphrase. Be the change you wish to see in the world. Do you think the world needs more compassion? Well, who are you compassionate towards? Does the world need more hope? Well, who, who are you helping to find hope in a desperate situation? Does the world need more love? Well, who are you sharing the Christ love on? Who are you sharing with that love? Does the world need more forgiveness? Who do you need to forgive? What grudges and anger are you holding on to and not letting go of? Does the world need more acts of kindness? Well, what random acts of kindness are you doing without anything expected in return? God has chosen us to be different so we can make a difference. Let's leave this place committed to make a difference in someone else's life this week.